You told me you had some interesting news. Yes, I do. I uh, I got an email this afternoon. I, te- I told her that I applied to a job for public affairs specialist at NASA, right? I was I, wondering if you got a job offer. Well, I did not get a job offer, but I got yeah. an email saying that I was rated as eligible to GSO-9. Yeah, because I've gotten this far before. I just think, yeah. I think the last time I got an email like this was like sometime around this time last year before I actually had done an internship. So now that I've yeah. got basically three internships under my belt, I'm hoping I'll have a little more chance. And I, just, I you know, I, I, I was able, I polished up my resume a little bit with some, with some guidance from folks on the NASA Unite server, you know, so hopefully I'll have a shot. I think you've got a tremendous shot, sir. Thank you. That would be great to, to see you kind of go rise up the ranks at NASA. Holy crackers, dude. That would be amazing. I was there's a little part of me that's like, well, if he moves, I'm gonna be sad. Fuck. I mean, I'll be happy. I'll be happy for you when you finally do punch your ticket and then fly off into the sunset to go adventure. I will be ecstatic and proud. I'll be a little bummed. But you know, you, you get what I'm saying? Yes, I'll I'll be a little bummed too. I'll be saying goodbye to everyone I've ever known. Yeah, I look forward to hearing all about it. <laughs> from the comfort of my house that I'll probably die in 30 years from now. 40 years. Let's 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 make it 40 years. We'll be generous. Yeah, you know, 76 is not a bad run. Yeah. That's about life that's about life expectancy for someone in our economic group. <laughs> yeah. That's our true. World. Uh, I'll, say economic I group. I'll say social group because you know that that that, 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 casts, that casts a little broad, broader net because it basically is economic group but there's a little more to it than that i think but yeah, well i mean like in america your economic your economic status very much determines your social i mean it's like that everywhere but if me now met me 15 years ago i would think oh maybe future me will give me a job Anyway, I digress. Um, let's get into tonight's episode, sir. Sure. So this is season one, episode 16 of Stargate SG-1. And what is the title of this episode, sir? Enigma. And it's your favorite one. Talk to me about why. It's definitely my favorite one of the first season. I'm not sure if my... I'm not sure... It's. I'm, I, it, it would, it's a challenge to find out to, to determine which would be my favorite overall, but it's certainly my favorite of the first season. And the reason is almost ex- almost mainly for this one scene that I want you to try and guess, and then I'm willing to confirm or, den- or deny what scene it is and explain why. What scene do you think is my favorite scene at all of Star- at all of Stargate? Let's set the table a little bit mm-hmm. first. So in this one, you've got a race of people called the Tolan. The Tolan ventured out into space and they found out they had neighbors. The neighbors were not as advanced, right? And so the Tolan gave their neighbors a perpetual energy box thinking, oh, they'll advance themselves and it'll be great. No, they killed themselves. And then in the destruction of their neighbor's homeworld, it knocked the Tolan homeworld off like just enough to ruin the planet. Mm-hmm. And so the episode opens with uh, SG-1 going through the Stargate, finding these people, a scientist named Omak, who's their leader, 
And their job there was to burn the gate and, and bury it and, and just make sure no one comes through or whatever. Yep. And, and there's a couple things I want to get at about this episode before we get into your favorite scene. I think I know what it is. But uh, we'll, we'll get to that. I, I want to get through a couple things first. So your thing. the thing I love about this episode is just the heavy guilt that weighs on Omak. <laughs> because throughout the entire episode, he's coming off like a real son of a bitch about everything. Right? Like he just, he hates everything. He doesn't want to be there. To be clear, I can't remember the guy's name. What's the, what's the guy's name who plays Omak? His, uh, Tobin Bell. He's, 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 he's the guy from Saw. You know, yeah, so he comes off as this total dick, and you're kind of expecting him to maybe be like some kind of megalomaniacal asshole, or at least an egomaniac, or whatever. But like you said, it, it's what it turns out to be is that he's he's bitter because he knows that the mistakes of his people wiped out and basically led an entire race to wipe themselves out and destroy their world and ruin his world. So yeah, he's bitter. In the way that someone who's been burned has is is only and only the way that someone who's been burned can be better. And someone who's like, I don't want to be burned again, and I don't want to see other people burned the same way I was burned. So I'm going to yeah. shut you down when you approach me. That's kind of what he's what his whole mo is. See, I I saw it as guilt, and like like he's carrying the weight of the failure of two planets on his yeah. shoulder. Yeah, and I think. I think in this case, I think in this case, the bitterness and the guilt kind of go hand in hand. Oh yeah, because it's because it's One definitely guilt. Not, you're definitely right, but I think it's it's a guilt that makes him kind of because because it, it it festers in him until it becomes bitterness. Because it's it's kind of guilt where it's like we could have done we could have stopped this, you know, and yeah. it's going to happen again. Because you know, obviously, um, what's Nareem, the other Tolan, the old, the other important Tolan character, the one who takes a liking the major to Captain Carter. Um, yeah. He uh, he he says this out loud at one point. You know, he says this is just like Narita. This is going, it's going to happen again. When it looks yeah. like uh, Colonel Mayborn and NID are going to take the Tolan and make them develop technology for the United States government, which would probably be a short, would, would be a slippery slope to a repeat of exactly what happened with. Um, a thousand percent. Yeah, exactly. So it's 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 a good episode because it's like a it's like an ogre or an onion. It has layers, you know. It has it has the the super the surface layer, which is this alien, the, this group of aliens who are, who are in need of refuge because they their planet is basically dead and they have nowhere to go, at least not for most of the episode. Um, but then when you, you start peeling back those surface layers, you get things like oh well, they they want the a part of the United States military that chronic that as carter says you know specializes in chronic paranoia wants to exploit <laughs> these aliens to have them make weapons for them you know then you talk about um it's 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 a, it's it's one of the this is this is part of the reason why i like this episode so well is that it's a very good example of what sci of how sci-fi can be done right especially sci-fi of this type where it's a, where it's an or it's an examination of the human condition I, I will say this about that line about the chronic paranoia. That's all of the United States military. <laughs> it's all about chronic paranoia. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> and I get it. It's a TV show. It's a TV show from the 90s. Um, well, it's know, it's like there's there's another line, which I can't. I think it's from the episode. 
about I think it's from another episode which we might do if we're doing that if we're wanting to go through this season but anyway um general i think it's it's the one where teal is being put on trial on an alien planet for something he did as yeah. and general hammond says well, we can't we basically says we can't get him out of this because the united states is not in the business of getting of, of interfering in other people's affairs and colonel o'neill kind of looks at captain carter and he looks <laughs> back at general hammond and says since when sir <laughs> We do that shit all the time. What are you talking about? Uh, anyway, so I think I know what your favorite scene is. Now that we've set the table there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think, and stop me if I'm wrong, there's a scene where uh, Daniel Jackson and Omac leave through the wall and they go up to the top and then uh, Omac sends a signal to these other super smart alien people and then Dan Jackson's like well that's faster than won't that take thousands of years for light to travel that far and then he's like why and then he takes his stick and then bends the stick and says not if you do it like this and then Dan Jackson's like oh you mean like you're bet you're folding space and then Omax like oh no <laughs> you wouldn't understand is that exactly is that your favorite it. thing that's exactly it. I can't. I thought I, it was. I don't know if that was like in, if that was like subliminally implanted in your mind. I might have told you that years ago, but if you guess that, that's a very good guess because that's exactly right. I've known you for a long time. <laughs> because see, to me, and I, I could probably this is one of those topics I could probably gush about. Um, Please to me, do. To me, that that scene. I mean, it really boils it down to just those those those, uh, those few those couple scant little lines there, where Omak says, "The distance between these two points, you know, he's holding this this long branch. He says the distance between these two points, and he points at the two ends of the branch, are seems great. And he says it's the distance between these two points seems great until I do this. And then he bends the ends of the stick until they touch. And Daniel Jackson says, "Wait, I know, but I remember this from college physics. You're talking about folding space, aren't you?" And Omak gets this look on his face that's kind of kind of whimsic, almost like wonder, almost filled with wonder. Like you can see the bitterness and the shame and the guilt peeling back. And you can see the wonder of sharing something with someone who doesn't know this, everything you do kind of come onto his face. And he says, no, you wouldn't understand. <laughs> it's so beautiful because it's, it's, it's again, it's layered. It has, it has shades of great sci-fi storytelling and it has shades of great world building because it's, 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 paid, it's 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 building character and world building by brushstrokes, as my one of my professors in, at, at IUPUI would say. Basically, exactly. what, you're doing, what, what what you're doing there is Omak is touching on things that are so lofty that by not fully explaining them, you leave them more wondrous than you could by going into full detail. If that makes any sense, because he's touching on things that. Obviously, the writers don't really understand, which is why they dance around it. But by dancing around it, it makes it seem like Omak really does know things that humans probably won't know for another hundred or a thousand years. And it really, it just it, it ups the wonder factor. It ups that magic that that magic box factor. I think is what J.J. Abrams once called it. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 such great storytelling because it's done so understatedly. You know, it's it's. Oftentimes, the greatest storytelling is the kind that's not done verbosely or with overhanded or heavy hand—not overhanded, but heavy-handed techniques. 
you know, and, and, and those and those just like two or three or maybe four lines between Omak and Daniel, we'd really have some of the best sci-fi storytelling in all of Stargate because it's touching on 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 a kind of wonder. This is something I wrote about for class the other day when I was on, on a, or maybe just maybe just yesterday about about uh, Carl Sagan's writing, the thing that Carl Sagan did so well when he was as, as a science communicator. And it's, you're touching on things that you know you feel for the first time when you first go outside as a, maybe like a, a six or a seven year old and you notice the night sky and you remember it and you notice the stars and you notice the constellations that your parents point out. That sort of wonder never really leaves you. But you can only really come back to it in certain ways, and I think the sort of, and I think this scene for for me does that. There's one thing I didn't quite like about uh, Enigma, mm-hmm. and I think it's Colonel Maybor. Now I know he's supposed to be like an antagonist, mm-hmm. but and and again, this is me nitpicking because I'm an ex-military guy, and I'm like. And like the end, when they're like, he's like, "Stop! I'll make them shoot you." And I'm like, "No, you wouldn't. <laughs> You've got a bunch of other people there. Like, if if you had like a rogue colonel saying, "Stop! I'll shoot. I'll make your their men shoot you," the general would take a hammer and bonk him on the back of the head. <laughs> <laughs> like, That's a good point. You know, like listen, like yes, there's rank and structure and chain of command. But if homeboy is losing it and telling people to murder each other because, you know, the baby's not getting his bottle. Well, you know, the baby gets to get locked up in Rikers or, you know, Leavenworth or something. Yeah, basically, which, of course, brings us some of the best moments of humor from earlier in the episode. That's That's true. Point where um, I think it what was it? General Hammond says, um, Colonel, have my the, the the airman outside the door will lead you to will lead you to your guest to the guest quarters. And <laughs> Mayborn says, "No, I'm all right. I, I think I think I'll stay here." And and Hammond steps forward and says, "That wasn't an that wasn't an offer. It was an order, <laughs> Colonel." <laughs> I, yeah, because if you for fun fact, if you didn't know this, Don S. Davis was actually in the U.S. Army. That makes sense. Yeah, Donis Davis was an officer in the U.S. Army back in the day, so he he knew a little bit about that. I d- I didn't realize that, but he kind of carries himself like it pretty. I'm mean, it's acting, so but it's he yeah, it's um. I had a few experiences, not quite like that, but it was kind of it was way more understated in real life. In my experience, it was. You know, it was me and a bunch of guys who were like a rank below me, right? And it wasn't like I wasn't walking, it wasn't a parade, you know, it wasn't anything super intense, but it was like, what are we going to do? We're, you know, they were, we're trying to discuss a thing. And I'm like, oh, we're going to do this. And they're like, no, we should do this. And maybe we should do this. And maybe I'm like, guys, and I just kind of like rub my stripes and I'm like, we're going to do it this way. Okay. And they're like, all right, Sergeant Lester. And I'm like, yeah, let's go do it. It wasn't anything like super important, you know, it was a low level thing, but it just reminded me of that, you know. What episode do you want to do next? Oh man. Let me see here. Let me pull up a list of episodes. Let me pull up on Wikipedia a list of episodes from season one, because I'm gonna have to think about that now. I mean there's always children of the gods. Yeah, we could do that. I think that's the one you that's the one you suggested actually. So if you want to do that, go ahead. We could we could just like start 
I mean, we were a little bit out of order right now, but we could start at Children of the Gods and work because I was going through the list of like on Amazon Prime for season one. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of good shit here, man. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of good episodes that I forgot about. And I am excited to uh, basically turn Blanket Fortress of Solitude into a Stargate rewatch with you. <laughs> hey, I'm all for it. I, I can use Stargate rewatch. Exactly, right? I haven't really had a decent excuse to rewatch it in years. Although all those Stargate DVDs I bought, I have not opened them once. I'm just watching off Amazon Prime. But I've got the Stargate box. I've got the Stargate SG-1 box series on DVD. And the only thing that's wrong with that is that the way the DVDs are stored, some of them are a little wonky, so they don't play right. Oh, yeah. bummer. It is kind of a bummer. Well, you know what I'll do is I'll at some point when I have like time in my life, I'll like go th- I'll go through and catalog which ones are, are broken, and yeah. replace them with like regular old DVDs from other box sets or whatever. I mean, like, you saw me pick up a bunch of cheap ones. Yeah. I yeah. paid like four bucks a, a season. Yep. But. I just sent you a message. Um, for for your perusal, I'm going to be interviewing this guy that I just sent you a link to his his, his Wikipedia page. I'm going to be interviewing him tomorrow about things like advanced propulsion and warp drive. Talk to me about that. So I'm writing a paper for my class this semester. Okay. Um, I'm actually writing two papers. Both of them are on different types of advanced propulsion. But this guy that I'm interviewing, his name is Harold, Dr. Harold Sonny White. Uh, Sonny yeah. is his nickname. And uh, he is, he, you know, he worked at NASA for a number of years. And now he helps run an organization that researches warp drive and tries to advance the concepts around like feasible warp drive for interstellar purposes. Sure. So basically, you know, for, for the sake of your listeners who may not be aware, um, there is actually such a thing, at least theoretically, as warp drive. It's not the same as it is in Star Trek, but it's similar. The guy who came up with this theory actually was inspired by watching Star Trek. But the gist of it is that Einstein's theories, of, uh, Einstein's equations, which obviously say that no, you thou shalt not go faster than the speed of light, as everyone should know. Um, they do leave a, a loophole open, which is that if you can find a way to create exotic matter, you can warp space such that a ship is pushed along basically on a wave, like a guy, like a like a like a surfer would be, where you where you can track space in front of the ship and expand space behind the ship, and the ship basically isn't going faster than light because it's not really moving; it's just riding this wave of warp space. This this warp drive. Guy named Miguel Alcubierre, a Mexican physicist, back in the 90s, came up with an equate with some with a series of uh, like at least at least theoretical proofs that show that this is possible. Now again, there's some caveats because for one thing, you would need exotic matter, and so far we have no idea how to make exotic matter. So that's a, that's a big non-starter. But even if you could make a little bit of exotic matter or maybe an easy form of exotic matter at some point maybe in a hundred years or so we could in theory create warp drives that could maybe go slower than light but close to light speed and go you know we, we could go, we could get to alpha centauri or the nearest stars in only a few years which is a long time yeah we if we ever crack suspended animation for example with that we could get we could get to alpha centauri basically within a human lifetime 
And there's some talk about how things like this might actually have time dilation effects, which would mean you could get to Alpha Centauri basically within a few years. So it's, it's making a trip that otherwise would take thousands of years take only a few years, which is a pretty significant difference. It's like in the Forever War. And hopefully in this, in this instance, we wouldn't be sending people out thousands of light years or hundreds of light years away and bringing them back and then causing all sorts of culture shock but there's there's that possibility you know there's there's talk about how if you had technology like this you could send people out to circumnavigate this the milky way and bring them back and you know hundreds of thousands of years or tens of thousands of years would have passed in human in relative in, in objective terms but for the people on board the ship maybe only a few years would have passed so they could basically just go on a long excursion and see the galaxy Stranger, do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? So speaking of which, how's your writing coming along? What what's uh what do you got going? What do you got, got in the in the fire? Well, I'm still working on that story, Infinitum, that we've discussed a little bit with it, and the one that I've been sending you ship designs for, which yeah. keeps, has, been, has been occupying a lot of my time because I keep designing new ships when I should be writing the story. But That's okay. I actually did sit down and write a little bit more of the script because if you weren't, if, I don't know if I made you aware of this, but I actually took what I had written for the book and yeah. converted it into a script, like a screenplay. And um, okay. I'm gonna write it that way because I figure it'd be just, it'd be a fun exercise, and that way, if I get a screenplay written, it might motivate me to then turn it into a book. Whereas <laughs> if I were to write a book and turn it into a screenplay, <laughs> I would first have to write, you know, possibly a hundred thousand words, or this, or as a screenplay, is in theory less. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for normal people, yes. Well, an average, I've read... an average, an average screenplay is about a. Is for, <laughs> this is the metric that they teach you in, in screenwriting class. And an yeah. average screenplay has about one page per every minute of, of screen time. So, sure. a, a two-hour movie is only about 120 minute, uh, only about 120 page long screenplay. Now, 120 pages seems like a lot. But when you start writing a screenplay, when most, as long as most of it, or at least half of it, is dialogue, that actually goes by pretty quick. Because if sure. you're formatting it correctly, most of that is white space. <laughs> you know, so, whereas like in a book, if you're writing 120 pages, especially of anything, especially if it's not double spaced, like it would be in an actual formatted book, probably, um, yeah. that's really thick. That's dense. You know, 120 page book. Even though a 120-page book is probably only a novella in modern in the modern scheme of things, 
Um, sure. That can be, it's a lot denser than a 120 page script. So I'm thinking that I can shave some of the fat off just, you know, by, from the get go by writing a script and have a little bit of fun with it. I like that. I like you experimenting. Um, I'm, hmm, somewhere around page 140 out of 213 on Shadowplay. Awesome. I'm looking at this as your co-author, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, oh, this is my draft. And then on my draft, what I was doing before was I was just input, rewriting lines. You know, the scene is the same, but I'll like, oh, let's try this line. Let's try this setting. Let's try this description, whatever, right? Yep. And it's kind of cool because I get to play in the sandbox, but I'm like, oh, it's Nick's sandbox. And he's like the final approving authority on this sort of thing. So if he doesn't like it, he can just hit do not accept. <laughs> and, uh, no, you know, doesn't hurt my feelings, none. But so it's, it's, I'm, I'm liking that aspect of it. it it's, it's writing without it with much less responsibility right yep. because you're the creative director of the spacer saga mm -hmm. you know i'm just a writer who's working with you on it on yep. this particular piece and a few other pieces i've got a couple really cool ideas uh in play to kind of build off some stuff you wrote uh <clears throat> which is just compelling broadcasting let me tell you there's a thing i can't talk about it um <laughs> Stay no, tuned for I, more. Stay tuned for more. Um, yeah, I think I'm excited oh. to finish this draft, turn it into you. You do a draft, you turn it back into me. And then yep. there's at least another cycle of this, I think would be Most good. Um, but yeah, I'm... Maybe. I'm, I'm because there may be some, some fine. Now, I will say this there's not going to be any major ones, but there may be some final lore tweaks for me to make to just make sure that it's all good and, and squared away. Nothing, nothing, hey man, nothing major. You're, you're the keeper of the lore. Um, yeah, that's whatever, whatever you think is best, sir. I will defer to your expert judgment. Um, I, uh, I'm just having fun playing with the characters. I'm just having fun playing with the toys. You tell me what the rules are, you know? Uh, yeah. It's Calvin Ball. I make up the rules as I go. I mean, that's that's life in general. Although I am having fun having a, a writing partner again. Yeah. I haven't really had one of those in a long time mm -hmm. since I worked on The Thin Line of Life and with, with my father. And I will say... It wasn't even quite to this extent. This was always kind of my, in my head, my most ideal writing partner scenario, right? Well, one person is kind of like the final, it's going to have the final approving authority. And then, but you got two people and they bounce the ball back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Yep. Both building on each other, both tweaking what the last one, it just kind of grows and morphs. You know, there's no hurt feelings. There's no sacred cows. It's just developing something into what something could be really amazing, right? And I think I've been thinking about this a lot. And I'm like, oh, we could, we could, I mean, hell, if we spend the rest of this year just knocking Shadowplay back and forth and then just really 
really developing the fuck out of it. I think that'd be something special, you know. Totally. And whenever, whenever I turn in the draft to you, and it's um, and you read it, and and then we can talk. We can talk about it on the podcast. How about that? Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> you know, it makes for good content. Um. Okay, so outside of infinitum, that that's kind of that's kind of where your head's at, your heart's at right now. Kind of mostly. There's a couple other ones. I think I mentioned Outpost Providence. Or I think yeah. I mentioned it anyway. That's the one where it's kind of it's part of the origins cycle for Spacer Saga. It's kind of how things got started. It's, okay. It's kind, of, it's kind of a summary of the out of the out the, the basically the fallout of what I call the Lunar War, which happened in, now in 2049 in the current war. Um, okay. And Spartan catalyzed the creation of the ICA. And 10 years after the Lunar War, there's a veteran of that war working on Mars, basically doing what the guys in the thing were doing in Antarctica before the alien came and ate them all. You know, they're basically just, you know, scientific researchers working on Mars in relatively small numbers, just trying to, you know, eck out a living and make it and make sense of this big planet. And this is like very early in the Martian settlement program. This is basically what they're there to do is figure out ways to settle Mars in situ. And yeah. it's basically it's it's kind of a story I think you would you will like as well when you whenever the chance when the time comes for you to get to read it because it's basically a character story about this guy who's kind of a, one of my typical crusty veteran characters who sure. who's you know kind of bitter at the world because you know he you know he. Had a, he's had a rough time. He's had a, had a rough go of things, but he's still got a wonder in him because he's that's why he works in space. And sure. all of a sudden, his commander gets murdered, and he becomes invested. He becomes embroiled in the investigation into why this happened, and it leads to this whole big conspiracy that threatens everything that he has tried to safeguard since he left the, the space force. I like it. I'm. I'm. I'm interested that that stuff with this sort of thing. I mean, I'm I'm a fan of your work anyway, but it it's uh, that that sounds interesting, man. Yeah. Um, what what state of development is it in? Pretty early. I've got a couple chapters written, but I keep sort of reworking them because I keep changing around, like when the timeline is and different sure. aspects of that. But at some point here, I'm probably just going to dive into it because, you know, whether it's after I would do Infinitum, whether it's kind of in parallel with Infinitum, I just need to basically, I just need to write it. That's really all there is to it because I've got, sure. this is actually a story that I have the um, full plot line, like full plot outline written for. I just need to execute it. So sure. it's kind of one of those things where I just need to sit down at the typewriter and bleed as Hemingway would say. I like it. Um, you know what we could do? Mm-hmm. Since me as a co-author of Shadow Play. Mm-hmm. Right. I and by co-author, like that means like, you know, if we sell it, I get a, a, a cut of everything. So I feel like I feel like I, I, I yeah, you know. Totally. Uh I, some ownership of it. Not that I'm trying to steal your thing, but no, I gotcha. I respect feel that. like it's kind of grown to be kind of like, you know. It's almost like we're raising a kid together. Yeah, it, I was about to say it's it's partially your kid now too. So you have some you should you deserve some ownership. Yeah, um, we should 
So what I and I'm I don't have the time to do this shit right now, but what would be cool is if we figured out the lore, mm-hmm. especially as it pertains to shadow play. And this is my old publisher hat I'm wearing right now. Yeah. Um, and just create a timeline on my website. Yeah. Because like I've been, you know, you've been doing this a little bit longer. Uh, yeah like i've been playing with websites for a while and you know and and yeah and I've i been, think i've been playing with infographics and stuff so i could probably help with it i could probably help in that area too like if you needed like imagery to go with it like you know illustrator like things made on just adobe illustrator i have that so i can actually do that i think that will work very well <laughs> i i will need you to kind of like solidify some lore though yeah for sure and I'm not trying to, you know, I, I'm not trying to make, you know, be a dick, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I the, oh my God, I hate it when I get involved in the thing and I'm like, oh, well, it's not consistent anymore. Oh, that's stupid. But for sure, I do, I do also look forward to however we, you know, cause I mean, you know me, I don't ever waste anything. And I'm like, oh, we've got a completed book mm-hmm. that's like print ready. <laughs> <laughs> So how do we? But it's in a different timeline. God, it's probably gonna sit. It's probably gonna sit on a shelf for a while. But I don't know. We'll we'll we'll, we'll figure out something. I, I gotta, I I I gotta get shadow play done first. <laughs> but um, I'm liking I'm liking the new direction shadow plays in since the since the last time I read it. Last yeah. time I read it, it was in San Francisco. It starts. And here it starts in Mars now, so yeah, it's kind of like a book I liked already, but a different version. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. Totally, thank you. Uh, anyway, so what is if you could pick one thing? You have so many irons in the fire. You got so much shit going on. If you could pick one thing to work, what's the thing you got going on in your life right now that you just want to work the most? If I had to pick one thing that I wanted to work the most, like like to work on or to like to work out, is that what to you, work out? To work out, I would probably say, and I'm not trying to poo-poo on you or shadow play or any of or any of my like personal writing. Right now, the thing that's probably keeping me up at night the most, right? Or I won't, maybe not keeping me up at night, but like close to it is trying to get a job working for NASA. Yeah. Go work at NASA. (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, we talk, we talk, people talk about get rich quick schemes. I'm not trying to get rich quick. I'm trying to get a good, stable job doing something that I love. And this is something I was talking about with my professor this semester, a little a yeah. couple hours ago. We had a, she's having um, conferences with all of, all, of, all of us classmates this week individually, like see how we're doing so far in the semester and how in the class, see how we're doing yeah. our first papers and so on. And I told her, you know, um, it, what was I say? It's like, you know, get rich quick scheme well yes it's not it's not a get rich quick scheme it's i'm i'm, I'm just trying to do something i know i found what i, I found what i love doing you know you I found was, your purpose I was, lucky, I was lucky enough to yeah i was lucky enough to find my purpose now i still think that writing the spacer saga is part of my purpose too but i think what, but what i'm getting at is that 
having a, a good job like working at NASA or even at a NASA contractor or maybe even someplace something that's just very closely related would give me the stability to pay the bills to live on my own you know to have and to do something that I enjoy to support me while I do the other thing it's my passion project which is obviously spacers spacers saga I mean that's what I'm doing it's I I I I that's ex- that's exactly what I did actually because I I remembered I when I, I divided by zero books always took third place mm-hmm. right it was you know it was like oh I have to finish college and oh I'm in the National Guard and oh I'm trying to pay the rent this month and oh I've only got eleven dollars shit and you know it's and yeah you've got the stuff over here and it, and it brings you joy um but also uh, you gotta pay for your own health insurance at some point mm-hmm. so i totally get it um yeah no you're not hurting my feelings by saying hey man i love working with you and working on shadow play but i gotta get a job (laughs) (laughs) you nick that's exactly what you should say um i think we can end it there for the night okay uh and uh, i'll talk a little bit more after this we'll just sign off how that sound yeah sound good uh for the blanket fortress solitude i am derwin and i am nick and we will see you next monday morning at zero seven hundred I, I just finished the episode right before we started. So it was very fresh in your mind. Yeah, I have been running 110,000 miles an hour all day. Like when I was like, when I was like, it doesn't slow down, it doesn't slow down. Yeah. You just learn how to handle more. You know, you yeah. just, it, it, especially when you're married, you learn how to handle more and you can do more things at once. And it's just your, you're just your 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 breadth of competency just increases. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I was working at Goddard. Uh, this is one thing we were talking about at the at our brown bag meeting on Monday. Uh, mm-hmm. I was working at Goddard. Um, you know, they would I would probably be, or maybe it was last Friday. I can't remember anyway. We we're, were talking about locality pay, like locality pay scaling. Yeah. If I was yeah. Working, if, yeah. I was, if I was working at Goddard. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's like a and, that, and that's a step one. So then, then from there, it just gets bigger. That's Goddard's. Where's Goddard, Maryland? Yeah, Goddard's and is just outside of the DC area. Now, I do got a buddy in that yeah. neck of the woods, and good. he, he told me about handy. what's that might come in handy. Oh no, I will definitely hook you up with him. I'm I'm also it's funny, right? Before I got on the phone call with you, he texted me. He goes, Hey, when can you do a call? And I was like, Ten? He goes, Let's do ten o'clock tomorrow. Which is great. I'm no I went to college with him. We were freshmen together. <laughs> and he he just finished his bachelor's degree. And I'm like, what the fuck have you been doing? Freshman year was ten years ago, man. <laughs> I guess he's been um, doing one class at a time. He's been doing one de- combat deployment at a time. <laughs> that, that'll, that'll do it too. Yeah, he's he's been pretty busy. Um, but no, he was telling me about rent on the East Coast. 
And uh, I, if you're making 60 over there, I think if you pretend like you're making 40 over here, you'll be something closer to the truth. Yeah. In terms of like cost of living adjustment and stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, hell, it's like I told you that I got interviewed by Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Um, well, not offering. They, they didn't make – it wasn't an official offer, but they were like – they said if you were to get high – and I went and did some digging. The cost of living for Livermore, California is like $3,800 a month. So no, that just minus like, taxes, oh, minus cost of living, I still would not – it was still not the most high – it was still not the most lucrative job I had lined up. <laughs> You've got so much good shit going on. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. That's so great. <laughs>